Book Six, Part Two of Xenophon's Anabasis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by B. G. Oxford. Anabasis by Xenophon, translated by H. G. Dakins. Book Six, Part Two. Number Three. The Arcadians, disembarking under cover of night at Calpehaven, marched against the nearest villages about thirty furlongs from the sea. And as soon as it was light, each of the ten generals led his company to attack one village, or, if the village were large, a couple of companies advanced under their combined generals. They further agreed upon a certain knoll, where they were all eventually to assemble. So sudden was their attack that they seized a number of captives and enclosed a multitude of small cattle. But the Thracians who escaped began to collect again, for being light-armed troops they had slipped in large numbers through the hands of the heavy infantry. And now that they were got together they first attacked the company of the Arcadian general Smicheris, who had done his work and was retiring to the appointed meeting-place, driving a long train of captives and cattle. For a good while the Hellens maintained a running fight, but at the passage of a gorge the enemy routed them, slaying Smicris himself and those with him to a man. The fate of another company, under command of Hegesander, another of the ten, was nearly as bad. Only eight men escaped, Hegesander being one of them. The remaining captains eventually met, some with somewhat to show for their pains, others empty-handed. The Thracians, having achieved this success, kept up a continual shouting and clatter of conversation to one another during the night. But with day dawn they marshaled themselves right round the knoll on which the Hellens were encamped, both cavalry in large numbers and light-armed troops, while every minute the stream of newcomers grew greater. Then they commenced an attack on the heavy infantry in all security, for the Hellens had not a single bowman, javelin man, or mounted trooper amongst them, while the enemy rushed forward on foot or galloped up on horseback and let fly their javelins. It was vain to attempt to retaliate, so lightly did they spring back and escape and ever the attack renewed itself from every point, so that on one side man after man was wounded, and on the other not a soul was touched, the result being that they could not stir from their position, and the Thracians ended by cutting them off even from their water. In their despair they began to parley about a truce, and finally various concessions were made and terms were agreed to between them but the Thracians would not hear of giving hostages in answer to the demand of the Hellens. At that point the matter rested. So fared it with the Arcadians. As to Carisophus, that general prosecuted his march along the seaboard, and without check reached Calpehaven. Xenophon advanced through the heart of the country, and his cavalry, pushing on in front, came upon some old men, pursuing their roads some whither, who were brought to him, and in answer to his question whether they had caught sight of another Hellenic army anywhere, 
told him all that had already taken place, adding that, at present, they were being besieged upon a knoll with all the Thracians in close circle round them. Thereupon he kept the old men under strict guard to serve as guides in case of need. Next, having appointed outposts, he called a meeting of the soldiers and addressed them. Soldiers, some of the Arcadians are dead, and the rest are being besieged upon a certain knoll. Now my own belief is that if they are to perish, with their deaths the seal is set to our own fate, since we must reckon with an enemy at once numerous and emboldened. Clearly our best course is to hasten to their rescue. If haply we may find them still alive, and do battle by their side, rather than suffer isolation confronting danger single-handed. Let us then at once push forward, as far as may seem opportune, till supper-time, and then encamp. As long as we are marching, let Timasion, with the cavalry, gallop on in front, but without losing sight of us, and let him examine all closely in front, so that nothing may escape our observation." At the same time, too, he sent out some nimble fellows of the light-armed troops to the flanks and to the high tops who were to give a signal if they espied anything anywhere, ordering them to burn everything inflammable which lay in their path. As for ourselves, he continued, we need not look to find cover in any direction, for it is a long step back to Heraclea and a long leap across to Chrysopolis and the enemy is at the door. The shortest road is to Calpehaven, where we suppose Chirisophus, if safe, to be. But then, when we get there, at Calpehaven, there are no vessels for us to sail away in, and if we stop here, we have not provisions for a single day. Suppose the beleaguered Arcadians left to their fate, we shall find it but a sorry alternative to run the gauntlet with Chirisophus' detachment alone. Better to save them if we can, and with united forces work out our deliverance in common. But if so, we must set out with minds prepared, since today either a glorious death awaits us or the achievement of a deed of noblest emprise in the rescue of so many Helen lives. Maybe it is God who leads us thus, God who chooses to humble the proud boaster boasting as though he were exceedingly wise, but for us, the beginning of whose every act is by heaven's grace, the same God reserves a higher grade of honor. One duty I would recall to you, to apply your minds to the execution of the orders with promptitude. With these words he led the way. The cavalry, scattering as far in advance as was prudent, wherever they set foot, set fire. The peltasts moving parallel on the high ground were similarly employed, burning everything combustible they could discover, while the main army, wherever they came upon anything which had accidentally escaped, completed the work, so that the whole country looked as if it were ablaze, and the army might easily pass for a larger one. When the hour had come, they turned aside to a knoll, and took up quarters and there they espied the enemy's watch-fires. He was about forty furlongs distant. On their side also they kindled as many watch-fires as possible. 
but as soon as they had dined the order was passed to quench all the fires so during the night they posted guards and slept but at daybreak they offered prayers to the gods and drawing up in order of battle began marching with what speed they might Timasion and the cavalry who had the guides with them and were moving on briskly in front found themselves without knowing it at the very knoll upon which the helens had been beleaguered but no army could they discover whether friend or foe only some starveling old women and men with a few sheep and oxen which had been left behind this news they reported to xenophon and the main body at first the marvel was what had happened but ere long they found out by inquiries from the folk who had been left behind that the thracians had set off immediately after sundown and were gone the helens had waited till morning before they made off but in what direction they could not say on hearing this xenophon's troops first breakfasted and then getting their kit together began their march desiring to unite with the rest at Calpehaven without loss of time as they continued their march they came across the track of the arcadians and the achaeans along the road to Calpe, and both divisions arriving eventually at the same place were overjoyed to see one another again and they embraced each other like brothers then the arcadians inquired of xenophon's officers why they had quenched the watchfires at first said they when we lost sight of your watchfires we expected you to attack the enemy in the night and the enemy so at least we imagined must have been afraid of that and so set off the time at any rate at which they set off would correspond but when the requisite time had elapsed and you did not come we concluded that you must have learnt what was happening to us and in terror had made a bolt for it to the seaboard we resolved not to be left behind by you and that is how we also came to march hither number four during this day they contented themselves with bivouacking there on the beach at the harbor the place which goes by the name of Calpehaven is in asiatic thrace the name given to a region extending from the mouth of the eucene all the way to heraclea which lies on the right hand as you sail into the eucene it is a long day's voyage for a warship using her three banks of oars from byzantium to heraclea and between these two there is not a single hellenic or friendly city but only these bithyan thracians who have a bad reputation for the savagery with which they treat any hellens cast ashore by shipwreck or otherwise thrown into their power now the haven of calpe lies exactly midway having the voyage between byzantium and heraclea it is a long promontory running out into the sea the seaward portion being a rocky precipice at no point less than twenty fathoms high but on the landward side there is a neck about four hundred feet wide and the space inside the neck is capable of accommodating ten thousand inhabitants and there is a haven immediately under the crag with a beach facing the west then there is a copious spring of fresh water flowing on the very marge of the sea commanded by the stronghold again there is plenty of wood of various sorts but most plentiful of all 
fine shipbuilding timber down to the very edge of the sea. The upland stretches into the heart of the country for twenty furlongs at least. It is good loamy soil, free from stones. For a still greater distance, the seaboard is thickly grown with large timber trees of every description. The surrounding country is beautiful and spacious, containing numerous well-populated villages. The soil produces barley and wheat, and pulse of all sorts, millet and sesame, figs in ample supply, with numerous vines producing sweet wines, and indeed everything else except olives. Such is the character of the country. The tents were pitched on the seaward-facing beach, the soldiers being altogether averse to camping on ground which might so easily be converted into a city. Indeed, their arrival at that place at all seemed very like the crafty design of some persons who were minded to form a city. The aversion was not unnatural, since the majority of the soldiers had not left their homes on so long a voyage from scantiness or subsistence, but attracted by the fame of Cyrus' virtues, some of them bringing followers, while others had expended money on the expedition and amongst them was a third set who had run away from fathers and mothers while a different class had left children behind hoping to return to them with money or other gains other people with cyrus won great success they were told why should it not be so with them being persons then of this description the one longing of their hearts was to reach hellas safely it was on the day after their meeting that Xenophon sacrificed as a preliminary to a military expedition, for it was needful to march out in search of provisions, besides which he designed burying the dead. As soon as the victims proved favorable, they all set out, the Arcadians following with the rest. The majority of the dead, who had lain already five days, they buried just where they had fallen, in groups. To remove their bodies now would have been impossible. Some few who lay off the roads they got together and buried with what splendor they could, considering the means in their power. Others they could not find, and for these they erected a great cenotaph and covered it with wreaths. When it was all done, they returned home to camp, and that time they supped and went to rest. Next day there was a general meeting of the soldiers, collected chiefly by Agassius, the Stymphalian, a captain, and Hieronymus and Elian, also a captain, and other seniors of the Arcadians, and they passed a resolution that, for the future, whoever revived the idea of breaking up the army should be punished by death, and the army, it was decided, would now resume its old position under the command of its former generals, though Chirisophus, indeed, had already died under medical treatment for fever, and Naon, the Asenian, had taken his place. After these resolutions, Xenophon got up and said, Soldiers, the journey must now, I presume, be conducted on foot. Indeed, this is clear, since we have no vessels, and we are driven to commence it at once, for we have no provisions if we stop. We then, he continued, will sacrifice, and you must prepare yourselves to fight now, if ever, for the spirit of the enemy has revived. 
Thereupon the general sacrificed, in the presence of the Arcadian seer Arexion, for Silanos the Ambrosiote had chartered a vessel at Heraclea, and made his escape ere this. Sacrificing with a view to departure, the victims proved unfavorable to them. Accordingly, they waited that day. Certain people were bold enough to say that Xenophon, out of his desire to colonize the place, had persuaded the seer to say that the victims were unfavorable to departure. Consequently, he proclaimed by herald next morning that any one who liked should be present at the sacrifice, or, if he were a seer, he was bidden to be present and help to inspect the victims. Then he sacrificed, and there were numbers present. But though the sacrifice on the question of departure was repeated, as many as three times, the victims were persistently unfavorable. Thereat the soldiers were in high dudgeon, for the provisions they had brought with them had reached the lowest ebb, and there was no market to be had. Consequently there was another meeting, and Xenophon spoke again. Men, he said, the victims are, as you may see for yourselves, not yet favorable to the march. But meanwhile, I can see for myself that you are in need of provisions. Accordingly, we must narrow the sacrifice to the particular point. Someone got up and said, Naturally enough, the victims are unfavorable, for as I learnt from someone on a vessel which arrived here yesterday by accident, Cleander, the governor at Byzantium, intends coming here with ships and men of war. Thereat, they were all in favor of stopping, but they must needs go out for provisions, and with this object he again sacrificed three times, and the victims remained adverse. Things had now reached such a pass that the men actually came to Xenophon's tent to proclaim that they had no provisions. His sole answer was that he would not lead them out till the victims were favorable. So again, the next day he sacrificed, and nearly the whole army, so strong was the general anxiety, flocked round the victims, and now the very victims themselves failed. So the generals, instead of leading out the army, called the men together. Xenophon, as was incumbent on him, spoke. It is quite possible that the enemy are collected in a body, and we shall have to fight. If we were to leave our baggage in the strong place, pointing overhead, and sally forth prepared for battle, the victims might favor us. But the soldiers, on hearing this proposal, cried out, No need to take us inside that place. Better sacrifice with all speed. Now sheep there were none any longer. So they purchased oxen from under a wagon and sacrificed. And Xenophon begged Cleanor, the Arcadian, to superintend the sacrifice on his behalf, in case there might be some change now, but even so there was no improvement. Now Neon was general in place of Chirisophus, and seeing the men suffering so cruelly from want, he was willing to do them a good turn. So he got hold of some Heracleot or other, who said he knew of villages close by, from which they could get provisions, and proclaimed by herald. If any one liked to come out and get provisions, be it known that he, Neon, would be their leader. 
So out came the men with spears, and wine-skins, and sacks, and other vessels, two thousand strong in all. But when they had reached the villages, and began to scatter for the purpose of foraging, for Nabaza's cavalry were the first to fall upon them. They had come to the aid of the Bithyans, wishing, if possible, in conjunction with the latter, to hinder the Hellens from entering Phrygia. These troopers killed no less than five hundred men, the rest fled for the lives up into the hill country. News of the catastrophe was presently brought into camp by one of those who had escaped, and Xenophon, seeing that the victims had not been favorable on that day, took a wagon bullock. In the absence of other sacrificial beasts, offered it up and started for the rescue. He and the rest, under thirty years of age, to the last man, Thus they picked up the remnant of Neon's party and returned to camp. It was now about sunset, and the Helens, in deep despondency, were making their evening meal, when all of a sudden, through bush and brake, a party of Bithyans fell upon the pickets, cutting down some and chasing the rest into camp. In the midst of screams and shouts, the Helens ran to their arms, one and all, yet to pursue or move the camp in the night seemed hardly safe for the ground was thickly grown with bush. All they could do was strengthen the outposts and keep watch under arms the livelong night. End of Book 6, Part 2 Recording by B.G. Oxford